everyone, and welcome back to Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy and Charlie here from CS2. And today we have a special guest, Bartek Voronievsky. And he's from one of our clients, actually, um, Schedulo. And we're excited to have him on to talk about something that I think is important for a lot of marketers to um, hear and think about and why that pays off to be a T-shaped marketer, especially if you work at a startup. So, um, you know, thank you for joining us, Bartek. Maybe to kick it off, could you just introduce yourself and what you're currently doing now in your role at Schedulo? Yeah, thanks, Chrissy. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Um, currently, I'm the senior manager of marketing programs at Schedulo. I head up marketing ops. I uh, run campaign execution, um, funnel optimization, uh, dabble across the board. So between web and marketing tech, I have my hand in everything um, at Schedulo from a go-to-market perspective. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure- Part of the can, reason uh, why you're on today, you know, I think- Exactly. Com compared to, uh, and I've noticed this and, and why I think um, I've instantly thought of you for, for this is that, you know, working with you, you do a lot across the board when it comes to marketing and, and you do it quite well. I think you're, and that might speak to your- background and maybe how you even got to where you are today because you've been in a lot of different roles um, across sales and marketing. So um, I know you had an interesting start to your career. Um, so could you talk through that and let our audience know like how, where you started, how, and then how you got into running marketing programs at Schedulo? Yeah, definitely. So I'll start with, I guess, my education that I, I initially was an econ major, which is, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then I quickly switched to marketing and business management or business administration. Um, and I always wanted to be in marketing once I was in school. Um, and then once after, once I got out of school, uh, looking for a job that requires a entry level person at five you know, a five-year experience level of XYZ of what I actually wanted to do was um, basically impossible. So the first job I got was um, drum roll, a hybrid ADR, BDR account executive role. Um, and so by title it was account executive, but it was really a BDR role. Um, and that was at a data company and we sold B2B and B2C data lists. And so if you were an ice cream shop, you could buy our list if you were the biggest company. And I think at the time we had like, or maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. I don't know if they still have that logo. Um, we can beep that out. Yeah, we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we would sell lists of anyone and the propensity to, for instance, you could buy a list of someone which had a certain type of car and uh, like to go mountain biking and would also be a subscriber to uh, like a pharmaceutical mag. And so these types of lists were so curated and essentially that's how I started up is uh, that was my first role. And then I hopped into marketing quite quickly. I did well, actually. It was a lot of churn and burn, um, mm -hmm. which I think every BDR manager is, you know, grabbing themselves by the head when I say churn and burn. Um, what was like the sales enablement like, like when you first started in that role, was it like a sink or swim kind of thing, or did they like put you through training or how did that work? It was actually really good training. Um, and actually shout out to Rick Giddings, that guy, I think he's still there. 
I think he's now the VP of uh, training, um, or at least was not long ago. And best onboarding training for a BDR that I could think of. We, we came in as a class and we would literally, the CEO of the company, CEO and founder, it was at the time fairly small, probably 100 employees in the office. So like it was bustling. And that was the main, it was like 60% BDRs in there and everyone else. Um, we would hop on the phone and everyone would just take turns calling like recycled leads. And the minimum deal size, obviously you have to know, like it's like now we're at, I'm at a complex sale, B2B SaaS, we're like a, we have a long deal cycle. Um, but at the time it was like, hey, if you could sell something for 500 bucks, that was the minimum deal size then, um, which it was like the lowest of the low. Like if, if you sold $500, you would like get shamed and put in a corner. Like you would go to the printer, you know, like take the deal out, uh, get it signed <laughs> by like the VP of like sales um, or like the deal desk. Um, that onboarding was really good. We would hop on the phones, everything was rigorous. We had an exact script. It was like, you could imagine, they probably took a page out of like AT&T AT book where you would just always say the exact same things. Um, and then after a while you would, you would go off script. Like once you um, were out of that period, because then it was sink or swim. Then it was like, hey, after that training, if you don't get it, you just say anything almost <laughs> to sell something. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a good role. I was there for, I actually got president circle there. Uh, for oh, like nice. after like eight months, which was really nice. We're like the Eagle Award. It was like the the awards were like just absurd. Um, <laughs> so who actually, you know, actually maybe I shouldn't even be proud of that. So <laughs> there's a threshold for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. That so was then good. what made I, you get into yeah. marketing then after that? When did you decide actually maybe sales isn't right for me? I think I kind of want to do this marketing thing. I, I, is, is it because you always knew you wanted to get into marketing and that's what you did at school or were you just like, mm, I don't know if I want to just be like cold calling and, um, you know, when did you realize, okay, actually, I don't want to go into sales. Yeah, that was a, exactly right. It, it, both of those things. It's like by, by schooling, I, I knew I wanted to be in marketing and that was the first role that was within reason at a company that I believed in. And I think that's really important, right? Like you want to work at a company first that sells a product that you believe in. Mm -hmm. um, or at the time, your impression is like you believe in the product. Um, and then you maybe leave if you don't believe in the product. Uh, but eight months in, I just knew, hey, I do not want to call or pick up the phone. Eight, like, uh, what was it? Like 140 times a day, 150 times a day. Wow. Um, and I, we, there was no auto dialer. Like we had someone on an auto dialer that would be like calling recycled, recycled, recycled leads, like, like eight realms deep. Um, but then I saw an opportunity at a company, actually a meat company. And so I went from this data company to this meat company, which was a B2B meat processing company. And, you know, it sold anywhere from like millions of pounds every year of, of meat to companies from like a beef jerky company uh, that everyone's tried to uh, like white tablecloth. And so we'd sell to distributors, to everyone uh, 
from mom and pop through distributors to big big restaurant organizations like top top 100. Uh, what was interesting there is the marketing team was super small. So it was uh, two people. Uh, so it was myself, my marketing manager, and then the president and founder of the company. And so everything was super operations based, uh, heavy. It was like the office. Like if you think about the office, like the, the, the office paper company, and then the plant would be connected. And so we had like 400 butchers, like knife wielding butchers um, at any given moment. Um, and it was a three shift place, which like fourth shift or like third shift would be cleanup. But anyway, there's always something happening in there. So we would always walk through the plant, but um, the president and founder of the company now owns the company for like 30 plus years. And that was the first and only company he'd ever owned. Wow. And so he basically took myself and my marketing manager under my wing, uh, under his wing and just learned from him and he was amazing. I think at the end of the day, everything I've learned has just been from really good managers, like, mm. and just being thrown into the rock, like total yeah. uh, into the deep. Right. So that's how so I, when you were at college thinking about yeah. becoming a marketer, what, how, what were you envisioning? Was it, is it very different than what you're doing today in like B2B SaaS kind of operations type marketing or because I remember when I was at college I, I had the same thought I wanted to get into marketing I did business and marketing at, at college and I kind of saw marketing as more of like the might be the wrong way or like not PC to say like the kind of the Don Draper type thing like ad executive type thing was marketing to me like you're, <laughs> you're going to be focusing on like branding and that was it or something uh, and then it kind of coming into the world coming to B2B and then getting into operations and tools like Marketo, it's like, oh, okay, this is actually what this marketing is. And like, I actually like this and I'm going to double down on this. But it was very different than what I thought when I was a lot younger, the beginning, beginning of my college days. Did you have a similar experience or did you have a clearer idea of what you were going to get into? 100%, 100%. I thought it was, well, I just remember classes. I thought of one where it was super BDC focused and it would talk about like the theory of color and impressions of like what someone is thinking, like even in a grocery store, like if the red, if the tag is red, then obviously your eye is drawn to it. If the number ends in a seven, then it means something else. Um, and so I'm like, wow, yeah, marketing, that's, that's great. But I've always, always, I've always been super technical. Um, and I think I'll, I'll thank my dad for that. Um, maybe, you know, just turning the LAN internet off and I'd have to figure out like how to turn it back on on the worst forums back in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, marketing, I always thought was Don Draper, madman sitting in an ad executive office. Um, but the technical side is nice. It's, I, I like it. It's great. It's, it's yeah. the best. It's like Im immediate input, immediate output. You kind of, well, it depends, I guess, on channel, right? But generally, mm -hmm. uh, so you can always... <laughs> do better, uh, I think. Yeah, so then you were, you were working in marketing on a small team at a, at a meat company. And then I think then after that, did you then get, find your way into um, SaaS? Like when, how did you find your way into B2B SaaS? And um, what was that like tipping point? Like when you realize, oh, okay, I, this is maybe an, like a industry and area I wanna stay in. Yeah, I, so I grew up in the Bay Area. And so B2B SaaS is like 
or maybe startup co culture is super ingrained in the area. And so it's, that was like the thing that I need to move back. I was in, in Chicago at the time. So I need to move back to San Francisco. I need to work at a startup B2B. I don't even know what that meant yet. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's all I wanted. So then it ended up happening. But so for instance, at, at the meat company, Chicago Meat Authority, uh, that company had no Salesforce developer, Salesforce admin. Mm. It was the marketing person. And so mm. that was me when I was hired. Like, hey, oh, you have a CRM experience with Sugar CRM as an ADR at this company, a data <laughs> company that you just worked for for eight months. All right, you can be our Salesforce admin too. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so um that was like before salesforce lightning which at the time was like the devil when it came out so um <laughs> all the sales guys i just remember like flipped their desks at the same time when it came out because i think mm -hmm. auto uh, changed um and i was the guy like getting like all of the it was like like some people were on rolodexes like i'll just say it that way like you know you would yeah. totally flip your desk at that point if it changed to lightning um and so i was figuring out like full admin, uh, you know, integrations between different systems. And uh, so that was, that's how I really got into, I guess the more boots on more the ground like a, technical side, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. you literally had to figure it out. No one else was going to do it. No one else knew how to do it. Um, and the first week or two, we had a huge re- branding and launching a new website project for the company um and so immediately i was on agency calls and directing like the nav of and the migration of the website <laughs> which is amazing so it was good it and the company wasn't like it's not small it's like um i mean i guess i can disclose like revenue but like it's making more than you would think, I guess it's yeah. a lot, you know, huge beef jerky companies are paying you upwards of millions of dollars per X order. So it's like a lot of money, right. Coming through. Yeah. Um, yeah I think the interesting so, thing that I, that you're saying, and I think, cause we get a lot of questions, people saying, oh, how do I, how do I learn ops? Like, how do I, you know, develop my career or get into it? And mm -hmm. the, the, the difficult part of that is like, really the, defining moments of like how you establish your skill set is probably just like through situations like that where you're just like thrown in the deep end and you mm -hmm. just have to figure it out you know and you make you probably made some made some mistakes or did things differently to how you maybe do it now but then you learned that way you got better and you just figured it out mm -hmm. and I think it's so, it's so hard to it's like one of the really hard parts of operations where like you really do have to learn by doing and just like and it's better if you can learn within a group setting where other people who know more than you can give you help you with that experience but at the same time I think a lot of the people who have got there today you know we all just had to just figure it out like by ourselves and I think that was such, such a so probably difficult at the time but now I think I'm so grateful for having that experience because you were able to just like really learn just like so quickly mm -hmm. and then learn how to how to learn even so quickly so then now you're just reaping the rewards because you've had all of those experiences yeah exactly and i think that's that's exactly right because so your question chrissy was okay so how did you get to b2b SaaS? so i then followed 
uh, my now fiance to California, back to San Francisco, because we had a competition essentially like, hey, whoever gets a job first, we're just going to move. So she got a job first. She's in design um, and fantastic at it. So she was agency side, moved to in-house. Um, and I followed her to the Bay Area. I ended up then consulting. I worked remotely for quite some time um, because, well, long story short, it ended up being that I was the only marketing person on the team at the meat company um, because my manager had left. So it was like myself and the founder of the company um, running wow. <laughs> marketing, which was nice. Um, but I ended up consulting for Stanford for migrating one of their websites from like Drupal six to seven. So then all of a sudden I was doing like a lot of web work, a lot of migration work. Um, and that was actually really enjoyable and really easy and a lot of still technical troubleshooting, I guess. But uh, I worked for a management consulting firm um, after the meat company because I thought, okay, maybe I'll get like a JD MBA. So next thing was like management consulting, econ. I had an econ background. I ran data change management essentially at that company, like CRM admin by title, but it was also like campaign execution a lot of email marketing, like uh, manual HTML <laughs> coding emails um, on a platform which is built for consulting firms, essentially, which which actually is actually, that's actually the interesting part. I always think about this. Every single company I've worked for is, and industry is different. So, and every single industry is using their different home, vertical grown tools like LexisNexis and the Bloombergs of the world have everything tied up in legal and management consulting. And all those platforms are so different than for instance, Salesforce CRM um, in like the relationship uh, aspect of the database. So that CRM was really good on relationships whereas Salesforce is okay. Um, and I think that's been interesting because the list management aspect of Salesforce is super uh, not good. <laughs> um, and so I think that's interesting to talk about is, is thinking about the, the relationship between the different tools that different industries use. Um, mm -hmm. But hopping in from like the different tool sets, that's how I, I ended up in uh, B2B SaaS just because that's where I wanted to be at Schedulo. And it really ended up being like, hey, is this a product that I'm going to believe in? And do I think it's going to go somewhere? Because at the end of the day, it's a startup. I still need money um, and I need to believe in it. So I think that was a really the requirement after uh, management consulting, which was good. Yeah. Um, and I think if you look across that, um, and part of the reason, you know, as I started the conversation is like, thinking about being a T-shaped marketer. So right now you go deep on like, you know, campaigns and your exact title is, you know, senior manager of marketing programs. And so your whole focus is kind of like taking your campaigns. Um, you know, right now, I think Schedule has a strong focus on ABM, but, you know, focusing on that and how that um, those campaigns can be applied across um, marketing, you know, sales, and top of funnel and then beyond. But to do that, to do marketing, to run campaigns, you need, you know, it needs to be operationalized. It needs to work. Like you need to make sure you have all the places. 
are in the pieces in place to work. And I think that one thing in working with you, one of the things I've noticed is that, and this could be down to having those roles where you did have to wear many hats or being in roles where you were on the CRM side, the way you think about how the steps of putting in all the operations pieces and play and also understanding like there's a lot that goes into it, I think is, is kind of rare sometimes uh, across program managers. I think they think about their program. They maybe send that off to another team or, or are so heavily reliant on an operations team, maybe in their past roles, but for you, because you've had to be scrappy, you're able to like, then even if someone is helping you articulate what needs to be done. Um, and so do you, do you think that your background with having those roles where you wore many hats, like kind of facilitated that? Is that something that you've learned a lot while at Schedulo or were, were you always like that? Do you, is it because you've always, you know, wanted to know everything Were you just like a sponge and picked up on a lot of different things in all those roles? Like, what do you think attributed to your ability to really have us uh, that knowledge across the full gamut of like what marketing, I call them jobs to be done, but all the things mm -hmm. that need to be done in marketing. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's such a, like, it's like, you're asking like a nature nurture question. Um, yeah. almost, right? <laughs> um, yeah. It's so, I think characteristic of like, like growing up, my dad's been technical, like he's a scientist, XYZ. And I think I've just learned like that character and like the detail orientation of that yeah. from him. Um, but then once I have the job, it's like, one, I never want to look bad. Right. <laughs> and, I, and so all of a sudden you, I think of everything. Um, like when I think of a T-shaped marketer, actually I had to look this up what this was. And when you look up a T-shaped marketer, it's so interesting. Like you have every single box, right? You have like mm -hmm. SEO, PPC, content, whatever they book it, web for like the big T year. And I'm not sure that that would be my big T, but, um, and then everything else. Uh, so it's interesting to me how all the channels work together and how a business runs anyway. And I think mm -hmm. I always want to know what the big picture is. I, I want to know what my impact is and I don't want to feel like I'm a cog in the wheel. And maybe, maybe I think we were talking about this. It's uh, marketing ops. People have admin rights to like every platform and maybe it's like mm -hmm. a control thing. Like you just want to have, be able to know what's happening and have the power to do anything you want in your fingertips. And even though like you leave like a platform off, like you don't log in for like, 30 days and then the usage shows up on your admin dashboard. Um, the reality is, is when you're at a business and you have access to all these channels, you start realizing, hey, you know, all the information I'm getting from this dashboard or the information or the conversions it could be used here, which is content. So right now what we have, for instance, at Schedulo is, um, which first of all, Thank you, Chrissy, for helping set this up. Um, so couldn't have done it without you. But what I call a uh, UT, like add click, so UTM parameters to close one revenue. So what we do is capture all our UTMs on ads, which is like, okay, yeah, duh, Bartek, everyone does that. But what we do is tie it to a campaign specifically, and those queries 
essentially go from Google query to close one revenue by uh, the dynamic search term on Google being funneled to uh, Marketo via the form fill on our website. So when someone form fills demo requests, um, it goes into Marketo, goes into Salesforce, gets tied to a certain record. And then we know based on the outcome of that, closed one revenue, closed lost, then those decision and whatever disqualification criteria it may be, or qualification, we know what ad, what ad sets are performing or what queries are driving certain traffic. And that informs then not only what ads are performing well, but maybe what people are searching out in literally on the web for to find us and what gaps there are. And then that gets funneled to our content agency and we can make decisions on, hey, you know, well, we see that people are interested in mobile device management as opposed to this certain type of like field service management niche topic that we've been writing about. Um, and it's, I think that's interesting, right? It's you have the big picture in mind and you wanna tie all these channels together. And yeah. I think that's important for a T-shaped marketer. Um, I love that. I I yeah. wanted I wanted to say comment something on that because I think a lot of marketers would think, okay, well, we tie our UTMs to the campaign member, so then we can show pipeline influence and prove that marketing is doing their job or that our campaigns are working. But instead, you said we use that data to then have this, you know, feedback loop to make our campaigns better, to make our, to double down on certain search terms, to improve our ad spend. That is a hundred percent what marketers should be doing with data because, and, and I, that's an amazing thing for people to listen to. Cause I think they often think, okay, we need to get this data to prove this, to show our impact. But if anything, your impact is just going to improve when you're actually using that data to improve things like you said. And so that's super key. And I think that's a great thing to learn and get into a habit into just as a marketer in general. So I yeah, and I think the additional thing um, that I think, you know, on top of that, that is interesting is when it comes into the conversation around the T-shaped marketer is that you're not just using you're not just using the data within the channel to improve just that channel, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, we're running these PPC ads. We can see these search terms, are uh, you know, uh, influencing revenue you know, more than others. Let's just tighten up our PPC ads. You're then taking those learnings and you're applying that to content and what your content team is writing. And that's where the T, like the long part of the T comes in at the top mm -hmm. where you can, you know, you're looking at that big picture. You're not just focusing on just like that one channel you're then taking learnings from that channel and applying it to other channels and other parts of marketing. And then you're facilitating kind of this information flow between all of the different marketing aspects and different teams to make sure that they're all improving. So it's not just like these siloed improvements to, that don't like really help other parts of the business. And that's where the T-shape, like the, like that cross-functional nature of the T-shape comes in because you are in, you are, interested in and trying to impact all areas of marketing and not just like your narrow niche. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it, it's so, I think doable at a company of our size, right? Because the moment you get into a company with like 10,000 10, plus people, it's like, Hey, we should probably do something like this T-shaped marketing thing. They talked about on CS2. And then all of a sudden it's like 
16 teams get brought in it's like <laughs> documentation of like 300 pages they're like all right we're ready to plan and start this you know so i think but, we're in yeah. a good place for agility right it's uh yeah definitely yeah. for startups and i think uh the thing that comes to mind too is that t-shaped marketers especially if you started a startup but even if you go to a bigger organization it helps you is to be a manager even with like hiring, because you don't need to be a deep expert in content, but because you have this experience of, you know, building content and maybe a resource helped you, but you understand it, you know what it looks like to find a content person. How do I manage that person? And so it really helps you with being going up in the ladder in your career because you understand those roles because uh, you did parts of them already, uh, which is, you know, that just, you know, you're to become a CMO, you kind of need that breadth of knowledge. So it's, it's great. Um, yeah. So I know we're running a bit uh, low on time, but I did want to make sure we do dove into um, a few of our other questions we have. And this is really kind of where we talk about like our hot takes. Um, so would love to know, know yours. And um, I think the first thing is we want to know, you know, out of some of the things that you see other marketers doing out there, that you maybe don't agree with and you think that they should stop, what is it? What's an example of that and why? Um, good question. I So one thing comes to mind, it's like the vanity metrics. Like I get emails every day from BDRs and that's fine. However, the most recent subject line that I've read was, we can increase your MQLs by 3000%. <laughs> I'm like, what? What do you, okay, like, did you just change the threshold? And so I think like the vanity <laughs> metrics to me is one of those things like, okay, so what? Like if I'm the EVP of marketing or the CMO and and my so, someone on my team says, hey, you know, like we've done so much work. Like we, we just raised all the MQLs. Like we have so many MQLs and all the CMO is looking at and like the board and everyone is like the pipeline or not like one, the pipeline numbers, but the close one revenue, right? Like pipeline's mm -hmm. great. Like, okay, we have like the hundred million pipeline open right now. And the board's like, okay, but your close one revenue is at like 1% of that. So um, I think the vanity metrics that drives me nuts. Um, yeah. yeah. And I can attest and, to that for you. I think that you're very focused on revenue. That's like your number one dashboard you look at is, you know, where's our revenue to goal? Um, what, how much of that's coming from inbound outbound. So you're not just preaching it, you actually do it. Uh, and I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah. Well, you, I can, I'm sure you can also attest to having like literally like I have like 12 dashboards open at any given time, which is probably also <laughs> not good looking at those vanity metrics, but as like engine indicators, I think you still need them, right? Like I don't want to, uh, you know, when you get out, if you look at local news and they clip like the part where they're like, yeah, I hate my mom. And you're like, wait, why did you say that on the local news <laughs> channel? Um, I still look at those vanity metrics. I have a dashboard for that. It's like engine indicators. It's like, is the oil like really hot? Is your car overheating? Is XYZ yeah. going off? It's like, you need that, right? So you just totally. need to look and know what it is, but it's mm -hmm. all relative. Another thing that gets me is, and I, totally stole this from your LinkedIn video sometime recently is um, industry standards. 
Benchmarks. Like yeah. Be benchmarks. Yeah. So that drives me nuts too. It's like, okay, that's great for relativity. Um, but then all of a sudden you have so many variables. Yeah. Especially mm -hmm. around the funnel when it's like you said, you could just change your MQL threshold and like anyone can do that and everyone has a different definition. So like, how could you really create an industry benchmark? It's all about improving, um, like we were talking about. So, um, all right. So last thing, um, what do you think is the most undervalued skill for a marketer? So I think for, especially and this could be across the board when it, in their career, like early on, or, you know, as a senior manager, wherever it may be, but what do you think is one skill that marketers, um, aren't focusing on developing that they should? Yeah, definitely. So I think everyone is developing the technical skills, an aspect of that, um, at least in B2B SaaS, right? Like that's, what are you doing if you're not uh, honing your technical skills? And I think that's valued. Um, what's undervalued in my mind is marketing, marketing. It's like, if no one knows what you're doing, then there's really not much value to it. Or if, you know, if you're bringing in leads or you're bringing in demo requests, that's fantastic. But if you're not uh, marketing, marketing, and what I mean by that is, having a cohesive integrated plan and pushing it out to the rest of the business and saying, Hey, you know, for the next six months, we're really going to be tying schedule and scheduling together because no one knows what mobile workforce management is. And they kind of do, but like, no one knows what like the deskless productivity cloud is like <laughs> when you're doing these category builds and just thought leadership, it's, it's, you definitely need, to be on the same page as a business because someone developing product like in Australia is not going to be knowing what marketing is doing in SF unless you're literally sending it more than just in a Slack channel because mm -hmm. we're super active on Slack. But anyway, I digress. What are That's, you doing? You just, what, yeah. are, what are you doing today? Like, do you have like an a, like a email, like roundup you send out, like a newsletter to the marketing team or to the whole company? Or how do you, how, what are some things that you do for that? Yeah, so we, uh, between all hands, global sales huddles, and I say global sales huddles, that's like still a niche team, but I think there's the go-to-market function and then there's like what you actually want to show to the business. And I think there's different communications that go out internally there, but uh, literally meetings, Slack channels, and then emails um, that go out, which is, I don't think like breathtaking, um, but it's as long as you're, the, the key is to do it as opposed to yeah. not doing it, right? So um totally just, I, and what you're actually saying yeah right? what you're saying yeah. yeah yeah and what the story is there i think even for executives like if you just have bulleted like literally like these are the things that we're learning and we're improving these are the things that are going really well this is how it's affecting pipeline boom like that's something i did at a past startup because i just really wanted executives to know um and be in the loop because we're such a uh a small team and and so I could get more people on my team get more head count so then um to, and show them hey we could do more so um that's great I think that's amazing advice and I think a lot of time marketing teams and I think it's important now like with being a remote company I think before you'd have like uh, you know, a board or an area in the marketing team, and they would have these things about campaigns you're running and, and stuff like that. And the SDRs could see that, or they could hear people talking about the campaigns and you, there was more of that cohesive, like natural, um, 
knowledge exchange, but now with just, you know, the teams being siloed or in different places, I think taking a more proactive approach and marketing, marketing totally makes sense. So, um, but yeah, this, this is great. Thank you so much, Bartek for, for joining us. Um, yeah, thank you. And if anyone wants to, um, get in touch with Bartek or if you have some questions for him, uh, we'll share his LinkedIn profile, um, on the episode page and, yeah, we'll see everyone on the next episode of Forward Thinking. Have a good one. Cool, Charlie, Chrissy, thank you. Yeah. Thank you.